The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. With that out of the way, I'm excited to get into the Word. I I need to get into the Word with you this morning, and I think that where God is going to lead us into the Word this morning is going to be really uh, intentional. It's always intentional, but I feel it specifically uh, at a a higher level than ever for me. I want to give you a few things that we're going to find in the Word this morning. Uh, One, we're going to find the point of Jesus' teachings. And now this is specifically in an area of, of teaching that's recorded in the scripture. Jesus is delivering messages, and, and then he, he sums them up with, with a therefore. You know, so he's, he's basically saying, I've told you all this stuff for this purpose or for this reason. And I want to examine that and, and let that lay the foundation for us as we get into the word. So one thing we'll find is the point of Jesus' teachings. Another thing <clears throat> excuse me, that we'll find is what the peace of God does, what God's peace does. You know, we're coming out of the, the Christmas season where uh, a lot of our decorations and ornaments were, 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 were ornate and, and ordained and, and uh, uh, all centered around the idea of peace, peace being on earth, uh, God giving us peace. I want to find out what that peace does. Uh, another thing we're going to find is uh, what God is causing, what he's causing. There's a lot of things going on in the world all the time, and specifically right now in our own nation, a lot of things going on. And, and it's really important for us to understand what God is causing. I think if we lose sight of that, we can uh, be subject to uh, uh, all kinds of different uh, directions and thoughts, some of them uh, not peaceful, some of them chaotic, even anxiety can come in. But God's causing something, and it's important to keep your eye on that. So as we get into the word here, the point of Jesus' teachings, where I'd like to start. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, I want to begin uh, reading around verse 43, and we'll get to verse 48 there where we'll see the point. This is the most ominous ringtone ever. Did you hear that? We need to just have a church-wide petition to just, golly. Yeah, that's wild. It doesn't make me want to answer. <laughs> Our phones are funny things. Yeah, we all know you're here. That's right. I tell you, I've I've been in a position before where I couldn't take a call, and the call was coming from my wife, and I have to look at my phone and decide whether to accept or reject my wife. It's really tough. Yeah, it's like, could you word that differently? Could you just be like, how about like take the call or call her back? Let's just do that. Call her back or something like that. Reject. Oh my gosh. So we're here in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I want to look in verses. I want to begin in verse 43. The point that we're getting to is in verse 48. So I want to set it up real quick. And many of you, if you're like me, you've already started reading just to kind of find out, well, where are we going with this? And that's, that's, fan, that's fantastic. No problem there. But I can tell you for me personally, I'm aware of the tremendous division that exists today, exists in our our country, our nation. It it really makes no difference what side of that division you're on. What we're identifying is that the division exists in the first place, where there's one side that looks at the other side 
and says, I'm against you, your views, and everything you stand for. And then this other side looks toward the, the, the side that, that had that view, and they feel the same way toward that side. I mean, you could sit here and go back and forth, and it could even get a bit confusing. The point is, is that there is a divide. And on either side of this divide is this understanding that, that this is our side, and that's your side. It's us versus them. And that's the mentality from either side. And I want to tell you something, that when Jesus speaks the words that he's speaking here in Matthew chapter 5, he's not speaking to one side or another side. He's speaking to everybody. He's speaking to both sides. And when he's speaking to both sides, he's making something very clear. And it's something that I want to to make note of this morning as we get into the the point of the message. But beginning in verse 43 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you've heard it said that you'll love your neighbor." And you've heard it said that you would hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you in order that you might be sons of your heavenly father. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? I mean, do not even the sinners do the same. And if you greet your brothers only, I mean, what what does that count? Have you done anything more than any other? Do not even those who are lost do the same. Now here's verse 48, which is our point. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, I mean, I want to sit and I want to just think about that for a moment. Because I have steeped in us versus them for, for weeks. I mean, the political tensions and and the things that are going on position us to take sides. Are you on this side or are you on this side? Are you you for us or are you against us? And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, you've heard it said that, you know, you've got those that you, you love and you've got those that you hate, but I'm telling you, you're called to love, period, across the board. And then he goes on to talk about God. I mean, all of a sudden, he's no longer talking about you, but he starts talking about God. He says, hey, doesn't God make the sun rise on everybody? I mean, this morning when the sun came up, it didn't just get light at your house, and then all those people that you don't agree with, it was still dark at their place. I mean, the sun came up, and it was light everywhere. Or, or the rain. You know, he makes it rain all over for the benefit of all. So you see this being uh, spoken, and it's identifying God, who God is, his attitude, his perspective toward our uh, sides, so to speak. And then there's this real incredible call, this call to do the same as God. And in fact, in verse 48, when he's giving us the point of his teaching, you have to understand that he's been preaching, he's been imparting all of this wisdom, all of this truth, and then he gets to where we have verse 48, and he says, therefore. I mean, it's to sum it all up. The reason for all of this teaching, the reason for all of of this uh, impartation, all of this truth being offered to you is for this purpose. Therefore, you're to be just like God. You're to be perfect just like your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, the word perfect there is, is accurately translated mature. You could, you could rightly translate this passage of Scripture by substituting the word mature for perfect. You're to be mature just like God is mature. So it tells me something. It tells me that there is a maturity that we're called to. And I have to ask myself, am I functioning in that maturity? 
I mean, right now, am I seeing us versus them? Am I wanting to take sides? Am I wanting to, to dig in my heels and say, there's the line in the sand. You cross that line, buddy, you're going to get it. I mean, am I wanting to see opposition, division in one side versus the other? Or am I willing to, to walk in a maturity that's able to love those who think differently than I think? Who feel differently than I feel? And who, dare I say, have walked through an entirely different set of life circumstances than I've ever experienced. And, and possibly could that mean that, that if I had those experiences, I would feel and think the way they feel and think. So there's a maturity here that we're being called to. And I think understanding what that maturity is, is going to be walking in perfection. And I want to walk in perfection. If the reason for Jesus' teaching in my life is to bring me to a place of perfection, I want that. I want to offer you a couple of, of passages of Scripture here uh, to, to help kind of just take the edge off of the word perfect there. Because we hear the word perfect, and many of us have grown up in a culture and a world that says nobody's perfect. And, and I'm not in disagreement with that statement except for Jesus Christ. I want to offer you this passage of Scripture. It's Philippians 1.6. It's Paul writing, and he's writing of something that he's very confident. He says, I'm confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ, until the return of Jesus. This work is going to continue to be perfected in you. I remember pastoring in, in Oklahoma, and, and I was dealing with the situation. of it was, a, it was a sin situation, a very blatant sin situation. It was kind of a a black and white issue it was it was there was no gray area it was obviously a situation that was needing to be repented of and, and turned from and the individual that I was ministering to got upset and and I can tell you that you know as I've grown and, and, and gotten older and gotten more experienced there's a number of things that I would go back and maybe do differently but when I play this one back in my mind it was handled with a tremendous amount of grace. Now, that's not me bragging. That's just me letting you know that I think we handled this one right. This person still got really upset. And they made this comment as they were, were walking out of the office there. They came in for counsel in the situation. They didn't hear what they wanted to hear. And so they were walking out. And when they were walking out, they turned and they said, you got to be perfect to go to church here. And now normally somebody would say something like that and as they would finish their sentence they would turn and you'd be staring at their back as they were walking out the door. But I noticed there was this pause here. You know, where they said that and they were still looking at me and, and you know, sometimes <clears throat> your mind can go just a million miles a minute, you know. And this thought crossed my mind. It's like, God, you want there to be a response to that, don't you? It's why they're still even looking at me. And so this was the response that came out. Now, if you're like me, sometimes you, you offer a response or, or you, then you, you, know, you get in your car later and you're thinking like, oh, I should have said that, you know, or oh. And, and then there's times where, where the Spirit of God gives you that, that word of wisdom in that moment where it just flows. And then you're getting in your car thinking, that was awesome. I couldn't have come up with anything better to have said, you know. So this person's upset. <clears throat> They're not wanting to, to admit that this is an issue of sin and that it needs to be repented of. And, and as they're walking out, they turn and they say, you have to be perfect to go to church here. And this is what was said in response. No, but you have to be willing to be perfected. 
Oh, everybody's welcome. You don't have to be perfect to come here, but there does need to be a desire in you to be perfected because that's what God's doing. According to this passage of Scripture in Philippians, we can be confident that God is at work in every single one of us every single day until Jesus returns working to perfect us, working in our minds, working in our hearts, working in our mouths with the words we speak, our attitudes, our actions, everything In our lives, God is working on it to bring us to that point of maturity, that point of perfection. I'll give you another passage of scripture here that should really be a confidence booster for you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared so that we can walk in them. That boosts my confidence big time. One, to think that, that I'm the work of God. I mean, the one who spread out the stars. The one, I mean, there are times where I'll just sit and, and look at pictures of, of the things that have been photographed by the telescopes that have been sent into space, and you'll just be moved in awe of the beauty and the splendor and the wonder of all of creation. And then I can come to this conclusion based on Ephesians 2.10. That, that the same hand that made all of that made me. I'm his workmanship. You're his workmanship. He's at work in you. He doesn't get distracted. He doesn't get overwhelmed. He doesn't get so busy that you take a, a back burner, but rather he's focused on working on you and on me. And then the idea that God has prepared things for us. I mean, I don't know if you've begun to notice, but, but God's pretty good at preparation. I mean, I don't know that he's ever been surprised, right? I mean, I think doctrinally speaking, it's safe to say that God's never been surprised. So his preparation is perfect. He's seen every situation, every circumstance. He knows the hearts of men. I mean, where you might turn on the news today and be filled with uncertainty, he's not. And the works that he has for you aren't void or nullified by the situations or the circumstances that exist in the world. Rather, they're highlighted and they're amplified. I mean, for the believer, we ought to look at every single day, no matter what's going on, and realize, I'm ordained for today. This work of the Lord is ordained for such a time as this. The words that I speak have purpose. The actions that I perform have purpose. The attitudes that I have have purpose for today. And when we can function and operate in that kind of maturity, we can step into the perfection that we've been called to. I want to talk about that perfection uh, just for a bit, even just the concept of how to walk in it, how, how to be perfect and how to be mature. I want to give you a passage of scripture that includes the word perfect in it, along with some things that lead to perfection. Uh, The book of James, I want to look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we can look at verses 2 through 4. I want to read it, and then I want to go and revisit a couple of words in it. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance then have its perfect result or its perfecting result, so that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. 
I mean, by definition, those last words are, are, are bringing the defining uh, words to perfect. I mean, perfect. By definition, you could say complete, lacking nothing. Now, this completeness and this lack of, of no thing that's needed or necessary comes through this perfection that comes through having our, our faith put to the test. Uh, when the word says consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, I want you to, to consider this as a definition for the word trials. By definition of, from a concordance, you would find that being defined as putting to proof by experiment. Putting to proof by experiment. I mean, imagine that you had a, a piece of, of lumber and you wanted to build with it. And before you went ahead and, and put it under structural load, you wanted to test it first to make sure that it could actually endure. You would be, you know, putting it to proof by experiment. Our whole life is, is a series of challenges and trials that are putting to proof where we stand with things by experiment. I mean, that's why we can look at things in the past and realize we might hand them, handle them excuse me, differently today because of growth or maturing or, dare I say, perfection taking place in your life. And you get through the, the idea of our, our faith being put to proof by these experiments, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance now, that word endurance there is a word that by definition involves hope and cheer. If you were to turn to the concordance, this is what you would find. Cheerful or hopeful endurance. Cheerful or hopeful endurance. Now, I got to say, when I saw that, I, I kind of grinned, and at the same time, I kind of cringed. Because I'm kind of able to endure things, and, and with that in mind, the endurance is about kind of toughing it out right? Uh, I don't know if you've ever been involved with any endurance sports. I think endurance sports are from the devil, by the way. So that's just a personal opinion. That's not in the scripture. You won't find that. In there. I mean, but it's just, it's like torture. And I, I used to, to, you know, be involved with some of these things because some friends of mine were involved and they would ask me to go and I would, would, would just cringe. And I'd go because I wanted to spend time with them. And it was, it was just, Absolute hell. It was the worst. I mean, why you would want to put yourself through that, I don't know. But, but I would find myself doing weird things, right? Do you ever find yourself doing weird things? Have you ever then taken a microphone and announced to people that you do weird things? But I would find myself doing weird things like counting, you know? I mean, we're on some 100-mile bike ride, and you're just there counting because you're just, basically all you're doing is trying to occupy your mind to not focus on the ridiculous thing that you're doing just so you can get through it. If I can just get through it, you know. But that's not the kind of endurance that we're called to here. It's not about gritting your teeth and, and just closing your eyes and waiting until, you know, something passes by. Waiting until that's over, or waiting until the next election, or waiting until, you know, that person moves on, or, or whatever. And we all deal with that kind of stuff, you know, where, where you just can't wait for so-and-so to, to get promoted so that jerk won't be your boss anymore, or something like that. I mean, we're not called to just simply grit our teeth and, and kind of hunker down and wait until the storm passes. Rather, we're called to endure the storm with cheerfulness and hopefulness. Now, this is something that I think really applies for me today. Now, remember, we opened up with talking about God isn't, he doesn't take sides. I mean, he just doesn't take sides. He, he takes over, 
I mean, he's not interested in picking this side or that side. His love and his affection being poured out is for the purpose of redemption and leading us and guiding us into all that is of his kingdom and righteousness. And in this situation, I found myself being positioned to, to endure, wondering what's coming. There's tremendous change coming. How will I endure that? Maybe if I can just build up enough of this or, or store up enough of that or, or just lay low enough to have a low enough profile that nobody notices me, then enough time will pass and then a new day will come. Now, that might be survival, but it's not the cheerful, hopeful endurance that we're called to. And we can face that whole thing in a number of different things. I mean, every aspect of our life, you know, whether it's marriage and family or whether it's, it's business, we deal with things where we can either find ourselves kind of, you know, hoping something just kind of passes by and we hang in there long enough for it to pass by, or we can actually function and operate with the cheer and the hopefulness that we're called to, to endure in the way that God's called us to, that way that leaves us perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. And by definition from the scripture, I think that's maturity. And I'm trusting and believing for maturity to prevail here. I want to ask a question. I mean, have you ever noticed how people can go through the same thing but respond differently? I mean, you can all walk through the same situation or the same circumstance, but then respond differently. And then I have to pause and ask myself, well, what's the difference? I mean, how come the same thing can happen and this person be cool as a cucumber and this person be freaking out? What's the difference in those people? I mean, the circumstance or the situation is, is a constant. It's consistent in both people's lives, but rather the response is different. I, I want to give you just, this as a concept from the Scripture. And it's, it's a, a passage of Scripture that we've used often for different purposes and different messages, but I think today it applies. Uh, it's from Mark chapter 4. I want to look at verses 35 through 41. In Mark chapter 4, you, you see Jesus and the disciples in a boat. They're, they're crossing the body of water, and a storm comes up out of nowhere and begins to cause a tremendous turmoil. It reads like this. On, on that day when evening had come, it was said, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took Jesus along with them in the boat, just as he was, and all of the other boats uh, were there with them. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves breaking over the boat, so that much of the boat was filling up. And Jesus himself, he was asleep on the cushion at the stern of the boat. They woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he got up, and he uh, rebuked the wind, and he said, Hush, and be still. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? So that's the, the scripture. I mean, in applying that to, to today, I want to just offer it from this perspective. You have one single set of circumstances that are introducing this, this catastrophic threat. And you have two groups of people. Now, one group of people here is... is a plural, it's, it's more than one person, and then the other side of that is just one, and that's Jesus. So when they're all awake and they're all looking at the wind and the waves, you've got a handful of people over here that are literally freaking out saying we're all going to die. And then you have another guy over here who doesn't feel that way at all. And so you have to ask yourself, what's the difference between Jesus and the rest of the people in the boat? 
And I think Jesus reveals a couple of things in his questions, and his questions are really important to notice there. I mean, the first thing he asks is, why are you afraid? That tells me something. That tells me he wasn't afraid. So the difference between the group that's freaking out and Jesus, who is is calm and collected and handling the situation with tremendous poise and power, by the way, the difference is fear. That one group would be afraid. The other would not be. One group is bringing nothing but panic and making the situation worse. The other is bringing solution and leading to a, a prosperous outcome. It tells me something. It tells me that fear is attempting to to disrupt and corrupt the actions and the activities of people who ought not to walk in fear for the purpose of derailing purpose and destiny and, and all that is supposed to come to pass in this situation. Being willing to to identify fear and get rid of or purge or put fear in its proper place is vital to our ability to walk in maturity. And the question there, how is it that you have no faith? I think that's an important question to ask. Now, the way it's worded there, how is it that you have no faith, communicates this like total void or total absence of faith, like you don't have any faith. I'm not sure that that's why that's being communicated that way. I'm not telling you that it's not. I'm just saying I'm not sure that it is. How is it that you're not walking in faith? I mean, how is it that the faith has so been so weakened and, and is so absent in this situation that fear is prevailing. I mean, I look at this and then I apply it to what we read from James and I wonder if it's how we perceive trials, how we perceive hardships, how we perceive challenges. You know, I mean, I have to ask myself if one of these guys that's in this situation found himself like me doing endurance sports, just counting, you know, kind of closing his eyes, hoping, well, we'll either get to the other side or we'll get to the bottom of the lake one way or the other. Let's just close our eyes and see how it works out. But how we, how we view those things, do we see this as an opportunity for growth? Do we see this as an opportunity for maturing? Do we see this as an opportunity to reveal to the world who we are, who God has made us in Jesus Christ, who he has equipped us to be by the power of the Holy Spirit, and who he's called us to be as he's called us to be just like him? Or do we see this as the very end? So, you know, when I'm dealing with these things and I'm reading the passages of Scripture here, I always try to ask myself, do I do that? And I think that's an important thing to ask, you know, because it's, it's really uh, an easy thing to fall into, you know, hypocrisy and all kinds of, of uh, disappointing scenarios like that. So in asking myself, do I handle this well, I turn to the Scripture and, and I find that uh, I, I think I'm going to give myself a C-. minus. Okay, that's not not good. It's not the worst, but it's not it's not great, right? How to know if you handle trials well? I want to give you a passage of scripture here as it concerns handling trials well. Uh, Philippians chapter four. I want to look at verses four through seven. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men, that the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. That's one of the things we said we'd find in the word. 
We were going to find out the point of Jesus' teachings. Then we were going to find out what the peace of God does. Based on this passage in Philippians, the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds with Jesus. When I go through this passage of Scripture as it concerns, you know, not being anxious, I have to ask myself, do I rejoice in the Lord always? Uh, Again, probably going to go with the C- there, you know. In fact, I can think of the conversations that I'll have. I'll read a headline, and then I'll go and and be around my wife or or be around men that I work with, and and the conversation will be about those headlines and those topics, and I'll find that there's a couple of things not happening. One, there's not a lot of rejoicing in the Lord going on, and then two, there's not this revealing of a gentle spirit. Rather, there is a, a sense of panic or aggression that is being revealed. And I think it's important for us to make note that God's called us to function and operate in a lifestyle that is rejoicing, giving him honor and glory. And the result of that sets us free from that panic and from that uh, aggression or anxiety and allows us to function in gentleness. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That can be easier said than done. But the call to do it remains. I mean, no matter how we feel, no matter what we think, no matter what we see from the outside influencing, the reality is Jesus is worthy to be praised. God and his love and his affection is absolutely unchanged and absolutely unconcerned by our current situation or circumstance. His focus is on our hearts. I want to offer you a a how-to here as it concerns Uh, having this perfect attitude out of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Now, it's Paul writing here, and he says something. I include this on purpose because it made me feel better when I read it. Okay, that's going to tell you, I'm showing you my clay feet, right? little insecurity on my part. I felt better when I read this from the Apostle Paul. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. So it's not that I've already got this, but it's that it's promised to come. So Paul writes, and here's what he writes, not that I've already obtained it or that I have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may hold or lay hold of that which also was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having already laid hold of it, yet this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind I reach toward what is ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, remember that's the word we're looking for, have this attitude. And if anything or anyone or anything about you has a different attitude, God will reveal that also. Or in my case, my wife will reveal that also. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. I mean, I read this passage of Scripture, and it really I was met with tremendous encouragement. I mean, one, it was a reminder that, that this perfection is a process that God's promised to operate in throughout my life. Without any regard to situation or circumstance, without any regard to politics or anything like that, it's simply that he's at work in all of us. No matter what difficulty, trial or tribulation, relational challenges, business challenges, political issues, it doesn't matter. He's at work. And he's at work bringing us to this point of maturity. 
that maturity that trusts and understands that God makes the sun rise on all of us, that he makes the rainfall on all of us, and that he's called us to be loving, to be caring, to be gentle, and to be those who would be catalysts for the things of his kingdom and his spirit just the same. I see that that's something that, that is happening in my life and that it's something that is happening in all of our lives. And then I see that, that this is, is an important thing to do as we give regard to this perfection process. It's not being led by the past, rather it is understanding the power of the present that God's called us for this day, for this moment, for this time. No matter what took place days ago, weeks ago, months ago, years ago, that past is not going to lead us in our present. Rather, our present is led by the promised future that we have. That promised future being absolute victory in God. That As many of us have this attitude, this is the call that we have. That when we step outside of that attitude, God is loving to correct us or to reveal it. And I think it's a good thing to apply this passage of Scripture to our lives for the purpose of pursuing that call to maturity, that call to perfection. So this is how I would apply this in my life to, to prayer. Father, your word promises that you will reveal my attitude. If it's outside of the attitude that is mature or perfect. And I'm asking, will you do that? We open my eyes to see the imperfection that exists in my thinking, the imperfection that exists in my heart, the imperfection that's revealed through then my words and my actions. I want to be a good witness for your kingdom. And I'm calling on this promise, this promise that you will reveal any attitude outside of that attitude of Jesus Christ. And I think when we come to a point where we apply this as a promise, we open up the door for a wonderful thing to take place, for God to do a perfecting work in our lives, that it would include the renewal of your mind. Let me give you a passage of scripture concerning your mind being renewed, being transformed for the purpose of thinking in a right and fruitful way to think. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It first starts with a call not to think like the world thinks. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, that which is acceptable, that which is perfect. As I respond to this call to maturity, this call to perfection in my life, as we pursue that together as believers, it's going to require God doing a work in how we think. That for us to function and operate in the call of maturity that he's placed upon us, we need something to take place in our mind, according to this passage of Scripture, so that we might prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Our ability to reveal the maturity that God's called us to is going to be uh, uh, dependent upon our ability to think like Jesus thinks. Jesus doesn't see us versus them. He's not vindictive, nor is he fearful. Even in the midst of the storm, he stands free from fear, filled with faith, trusting, knowing, and believing that God has ordained his life, his attitudes, his words, his actions for such a time as this. 
And when we look around and we see chaos and we see uncertainty and we see opportunity for anxiety behind every door and on every channel and other situations and circumstances that have to do with our own personal lives, we can stand firm knowing that God has a call on your life, a purpose on your life, an empowerment on, in, and through your life for such a time as this. I mentioned before we're going to find out what God is causing I want to offer you this passage of scripture as we close. It's from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans 8, 28. What God is causing. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. I have to ask myself these questions to encourage and to remind myself what God is causing. Has God put a call on my life? Absolutely. You could ask yourself the same. Has God put a call on your life? Absolutely, yes. Has God revealed his love to you and do you reciprocate that love toward him? Absolutely. Then those things being stated and understood... Every single thing that is happening, God is causing to work together for good for you. No matter what the television says, no matter what the newspaper says, no matter what the letters in the mail say, no matter what people that you thought were your friends say, no matter what you're dealing with, facing, or walking through, God is causing good. And it's an important thing for us to keep this in mind, to function and operate in maturity. When we function and operate in immaturity, decisions that are made are compromised, attitudes that are revealed are corrupted, actions and words are poisonous and provoking. But when we can function in maturity, there's absolutely no trial, no tribulation, no hardship that we can't endure with cheer and hopefulness. Cheer that Jesus Christ has the victory. Hopefulness that he's brought that victory into our situation and our circumstance. And as we endure with cheer and hopefulness, we make a way for the maturity and the perfection that God has called into our lives to bring about a perfect result in everything that we deal with. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I think it's important to see those words of Jesus when he calls us to that perfection, that it would involve the laying down of the taking of sides, that it would simply be an understanding that God is at work no matter what. I want us to take on that mentality for the purpose of functioning and operating in the maturity that God's called us to, to intercede, to, to minister, and to endure with cheer and hopefulness everything that would come against us in the world today. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do a work in us for the purpose of walking in the perfection that he's called us to. There where you stand, you're welcome to simply be in agreement or in a, a state of receiving. I want to trust and believe for God to work in our heart and our mind. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you that you've called us to perfection, that you've promised to perfect us. Even here and now as we stand together, let it be received as a sign of surrender that we are willing to be perfected. We are willing to do things in the way that you'd call us to do them. We are willing to be changed, to be transformed, to be molded in any way necessary for maturity to prevail. Let our hearts and our minds be yielded and given over for the sake of being transformed. Let your word bring into existence that which is true, that we wouldn't be led by hurts and wounds and things of the past, but that we would press on forward, that we would live in our present, encouraged, filled with hope and cheer at the promise of the future, the future that you bring victory, that you bring solution, that you make the sun to rise, that you make the rain to fall. Let us not be so short-sighted that we begin to take sides and open up the door for fear and anxiety to corrupt our thinking and our decision-making. But let us come to a place of surrender, a place of maturity, where we can cheerfully endure with hope everything that we might deal with, trusting and believing in your hand to move in power, to fulfill your word, and to bring into existence that result which is complete, lacking nothing, that result which is perfect. We bless your name and we thank you. And we surrender our lives to be matured. We desire as we walk in maturity that you receive honor and glory, that the works of Satan be destroyed, that your kingdom be expanded. Let our lives function and operate in the ministry that you've called us to, the ministry of Jesus Christ in our everyday living. We give you thanks and we rejoice that you would not leave us, that you would not forsake us, but that you have imparted all that we need to function and operate in perfection. We thank you for maturity and we rejoice in the call to be just like you've called us to be, to be just like you. We thank you, Father. And we rejoice in Jesus' name and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.